You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season five, episode five. And so I love creating that space because I believe art is an environment and creativity creates a space on the inside of you for something to blossom. Graham Cook is an author, public speaker, and strategist. He is known for radical faith and friendship with God. Graham's books have helped numerous organizations and individuals across the world to overcome limited and negative thinking and transition toward a higher level of corporate and spiritual life. An integral part of Graham's work involves producing resources for helping the poor and for eradicating human trafficking by supporting the organization not for sale. In this episode, I talk with Graham about cultivating environments that serve his creative and spiritual disciplines. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy two additional interview segments on dealing with rejection and creating healthy rhythms. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for a link to download my free ebook, Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. This is my interview with author and speaker, Graham Cook. Graham, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. It's a real honor to have you <laughs> on the program. I'm yeah. so happy yeah. to be here, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk to you today specifically about your relationship to creativity mm-hmm. and how that impacts your faith walk and right. just how you see the role of creativity as it right. pertains to the life of the Spirit. Yeah. You know, I wish we were doing this in my meditation suite where I live in uh, Santa Barbara. I have probably around 2,500 square feet. And it's all, it's, it, this is my fourth meditation suite that the Lord and I have designed together. And I had um, two in England and now two in the places I've lived in America. And typically what we do is um, I, I have this room and then I put a decent floor in. I figure out with the Lord what color paint he wants on the walls and all of that. And then I get all that done. And then there's no furniture or anything in it. And then the first thing we do is we go out and we buy art. Mm. I seldom take pieces from other rooms into this one. And typically when I start another room, it's because another phase of my walk with the Lord has started. So things go back to like ground zero. Mm -hmm. But what happens in every room is no matter where I stand or sit, there's something there that speaks to me. Mm -hmm. It could be prophetic art. Um, It could just be paintings that evoke something in me, either of rest or of joy. And uh, and it's not just paintings, but it's sculptures. Mm-hmm. It's a whole range of things, mm-hmm. you know. And so I love creating that space, and because I, I believe in art is an environment. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I do think that everything done well becomes art. Yeah. No matter what it is. That's good. You know, it's not just painting and sculpting and all that kind of stuff, but. Everything done well becomes art. So I like to think some of the books I've written um, have certainly been an art. They have an art form expression to them, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, so this is my meditation suite. It's not an office. Mm-hmm. I typically have an office next door, which is where my personal assistant, Jenny, holds court. <laughs> and I usually have an armchair or a couch in her office. And that's where I do business. I don't bring any business into this space. It's all about worshipping for me. It's all about rejoicing, thanksgiving. It's about meditation, being still, listening, and writing. Mm-hmm. You know? That's beautiful. So it's the place where I pray. It's the place where I create. It's the, it's, um, it's the place where I feel surrounded mm-hmm. by an environment that God has specifically created for us, me and him. You know, so I, I, and it's part of me, it's part of like the secret place, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's where I write to create and create to write. It's the place where I have all my best thoughts is typically in that room. Or if I get thoughts elsewhere, I'll take them into that room and they come under automatic expansion. Because I think art does that, creativity does that is constantly expansive Mm -hmm. so you never stay the same as a person when you're creating yeah you get to become what you create and i think that's the process you know you become more um, intelligent you become more wise you become more hopeful you become more whole and creativity creates a space on the inside of you for something to blossom Mm-hmm. And so in the end, you become what you create and you create what you're becoming. You know, I always feel like there's always a big piece of my heart to my life in every book I've written. I've written 23 books now. Wow. And um, there's a big piece of my heart, my learning, my hope, my sense of wonder about who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love relational learning and I think that's the best way for me to think about writing is I write in relationship with God, I learn in relationship with God, and I create in relationship with Him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what gives it an authenticity that people feel like they're drawn into a world, Mm -hmm. you know, that God has created, you know, for me and with me. I love the fact too that our identity is our art mm-hmm. before God. What God is making us into, our identity and our calling mesh together, become the place where we are God's workmanship. That means He's creating something in us. So we're, everyone's a work of art. So I want to make sure in my messages I get that across to people. This is not about survival. It's not just about you overcoming. It's about you becoming like him. Mm -hmm. Because that was primary purpose, right back to Genesis 1.26. Let's make man in our image, in our likeness. So he's sculpting us all the time. And so I, I love that, that your identity is who you are because Jesus is present in you. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have been divinely selected to live with Jesus and to have him live in you. Your calling 
is an invitation for you to participate with purpose. One of the things that I've always appreciated about you is that you do carry this environment of wonder and right. this environment of awe about you. And every, you know, every time I've heard you speak or read, read your writings, you've cultivated this environment of right. wonder. You've right. cultivated a lifestyle of wonder. And wonder is kind of the hallmark of, right. of the creative journey. It's like, yeah. you know, you, you find wonder, you're curious, you're astonished at something, but right. I, I don't know, I'd love to hear you speak into that. Cultivating a lifestyle of wonder, very often for me, comes when God asks me a question. I'm always asking him questions. You know, what do you think about this? How do you see that? How do I stand in a situation like this? You know, um, what are you up to? You know, what passes for fun in that brilliant brain of yours? <laughs> I'm always asking questions. <laughs> and, and there were times when he asked me questions like, Graham, what would it take for you to believe that I'm unceasingly magnificent towards you? And that question was asked five years ago, and we're still talking about it. But my whole thinking has gone to several different levels, to a point where I have this majesty mindset now, that it's inconceivable to me that God's goodness will not overwhelm this situation. It's inconceivable that, you know, this set of circumstances will not work out the way that he wants because I'm learning about his magnificence and um, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. And the, the issue is when I read Ephesians 3.20, when I read that, it's like, well, what's beyond thinking? And that would be dreaming. Some things can't be thought about. They have to be dreamt. And so a big part of my creativity starts out in dreams. Mm-hmm. I, I think I must have had a couple of hundred dreams in my life that have been significant, mm-hmm. that have been life-changing, where I've had encounters with the Lord and they've led down certain roads and often may have led to talks or conferences or books. You know, so, uh, and they're totally, they're always unexpected, but I have series of dreams where I'm always in the same location Mm -hmm. and the Lord comes in and we spend time and we chat and then in the morning when I, and then suddenly I don't even know when the dream is over. I just wake up in the morning and, but I wake up with perfect recall for like two hours. So I have to get down and sit down and write everything down. And that's how my talks and my books start. Mm-hmm. And that's where my wonder comes from, is just being in his space. Yeah. I love it when he's in mine, but I love it when I get an invite into his. So it seems like your creative process is more in that environment and that hidden place. And so what you do in public is an overflow of what you've cultivated in, in secret. Yeah. The Lord and I have an artistic expression for overcoming problems that are devastating, potentially, you know. And I learned it when I had, um, when I was starting out in ministry, I had this business as a landscape designer and builder. And I would build maintenance-free gardens for professional people. 
you know, charge them an arm and a leg because they could afford it. <laughs> but they would have a big yard and I would guarantee that it would take 15 minutes work to keep that yard up a week. Mm-hmm. So that meant they could come home from work and enjoy that whole thing, you know. And I remember I got this request to go see this guy and he's he's got like two acres and like a third of it is um, he has an underground stream that is making the ground waterlogged. And he's had four drainage companies come in and put different drainage systems and nothing has worked. And so uh, he's finding out, can anybody help me here? And some people say, well, there is this designer, maybe he's got some ideas. So anyway, I get this phone call and I come and, and he's, he's, he's mad, he's spent over a hundred thousand pounds. And this is like 30 years ago. And he's mad as anything, you know, and he said, so what are you going to do? Another drainage system, I suppose. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I said, I'm, I'm probably just going to look and then I'm going to go away and pray about it. And he went, what the F? Because <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't the answer he was expecting. Right, right. I said, well, you know, if you've got a, a problem here, you, you need the creator hmm. to come in and, you know, uh, and he went, man, you're blank, blank weird. I said, well, I'll only be weird if it doesn't work, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I went away and I prayed about it. And, and this is what I felt the Lord say to me, Graham, if you can't change something, you need to make a feature out of it. Hmm. So I'm going, okay, grasshopper, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was, well, what can't we change? We can't change the fact there's an underground stream. <laughs> So if water's the problem, why don't we make water the solution? Mm. So I built him a water garden. <laughs> wow. You know? Wow. And so I came in and he said, what did the big fella say? <laughs> and I said, well, he'd said to me, Graham, if you can't change something, make a feature out of it. He said, what the blank does that mean? <laughs> I said, well, water's the issue here. You can't change the fact you've got an underground stream. And um, we can't drain it because uh, it'll just keep coming back. So I'm going to make you a water garden. How much is that going to cost me? I said, it, it'll cost a fair bit, but here's the thing. It will add value to your house. So not I built it, you know, I put a, a, a huge pond in there with, created an island in the middle, sunk loads of rocks, created an island, built a bridge over there, lily, lily, lily pads, all that kinds of stuff. And it was stunning. And so he throws this huge party. He gets the realtor to come in and reappraise the house. And just that feature um, put a value on the house that covered all the drainage bills and what I spent. Wow. <laughs> so now he's in, you know, he's in profit. Yeah, yeah. And so he has all his friends come, and of course I have to come, and I ended up getting loads of work out of it. <laughs> That's amazing. But just that creativity, if you can't change something, make a feature out of it. I love that. You know? That's good. When I moved into my last office, you know, it, it was two offices uh, next door to each other, and so I wanted to knock down the wall and create one big space. But then we found that one third of the wall was load-bearing. Which is really disappointing to sure, me. Sure, yeah. Because I wanted the open, the big open space, and now I've got this wall. And so um, I said, okay, Lord, can't change that. It's load-bearing. How do we make a feature out of it? And I created... I got a friend of mine who's a master carpenter, 
and uh, and he got this cherry wood with a live edge, and he built a um, bookcase that went on three sides, <laughs> and it was all freestanding. It wasn't attached to the wall, and um, it, I turned that problem into a work of art. Wow. But here's the best thing, too, is I have all my manuscripts and notes and things like that. And they were all in the white kind of cardboard staples boxes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I can't put those on, in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the bookcase. So I had a friend of mine um, take those white boxes, cover them in leather with a leather lid. And on the inside, we put um, linen. Mm-hmm. And so we turned white cardboard boxes <laughs> into a work of art and then put them all around, you know, in the various shelves and so on. Wow. And so when you walk in in the morning, you smell cherry wood and leather. <laughs> and it's become a focal point. Almost everybody in the building has been in my office yeah. to see this thing. That's great. Because it's a total work of art. Wow. If you can't change something, God's going to make a feature out of it. One of the most powerful scriptures in my life is Deuteronomy 31, 6 to 8. And it's all about this idea of God goes ahead of us and then he goes with us. And so I'm curious, Stephen, I want to know when you're ahead of me in my life, what are you seeing? (laughs) Yeah. You know, what are you seeing and what are you laying down? I have friends who've done the Paris to Dakar car rally you know through all the desert and the wilderness and the Arab wastelands and so on and so forth and I was fortunate one time to be just to spend a week that's all I could manage on the crew and and these are the guys who were going out and putting down fuel dumps and water and all of that stuff little camps and oases and making sure that people had in areas that were deprived of resources, that there were provisions. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm living this Deuteronomy 38. <laughs> I'm going ahead. Yeah. And it's like, I know in terms of what God is really like, He loves to provide. And the very idea of Him going out and seeing what were the problems and then putting possibilities right there. So it's like when he wanted Israel to cross the wilderness, you know, he would have gone ahead. He would have seen where there is no water here, but there's a decent sized rock we can hit. Mm-hmm. He would have seen where, why don't we just right now create hundreds of thousands of small birds mm-hmm. so we can have breakfast flying in every morning, <laughs> you know? And it, that is entirely to me, um, what God is like. Yeah. He thinks ahead, he looks ahead, he plans ahead. I know the plans I've got for you. Plans for your welfare, not your calamity, mm-hmm. to give you a future and a hope. And all creativity, I think, is about present future and living in hope and expectancy with a good dose of wonder. You know? yeah. um, so the whole idea of God goes ahead of us, what are you seeing and what are you providing? Mm-hmm. And then when he sees what's ahead and he puts things out there, he gives it to you in promise form. And the promise tells you you've got a future and a hope. Mm -hmm. He tells you there's a provision out there 
and that God has already planned for something to happen. And I think for me, the element of creativity I love the most is to create an outstanding sense of hope mm -hmm. and expectancy in people. I've been trying in my ministry for years to raise that to the level of an art form, you know. So whenever I talk about the Lord, I lose track of time, you know, because the subject is so compelling, God's goodness, you know. Jesus went about doing good and healing people, you know, and I, I love that, ex that expression of him. So yeah. um, I'm really committed that in my writing that it has that creative capacity to stir up hope yeah. and trust and wonder yeah. in people. And so my little secret place there <laughs> is, it's like, you know, it's not quite Santa's workshop, but it's the place where God works on me the most. And mm -hmm. we are his workmanship. Yeah. We are his creativity yeah. created in Jesus. And I feel that room is exactly that for me. You know, when I walk in every morning, you know, the presence of God is just there. It's the place where I laugh the most. It's the place where I cry the most. Mm -hmm. Mostly I cry because, you know, God is just so awesome that I cry for the sheer joy that I have in being in that space with him and writing something that might affect somebody's life. seems to me that you've cultivated such an intimacy with Jesus right. and you've taken him what he says I mean it's when I listen to you talk it's like the yeah. words of Jesus are they're simple yeah and right. and your so simple an Englishman yeah. can do it <laughs> there you go that's right yeah <laughs> and your creativity just flows out of that yeah. and that's what I find so beautiful about the yeah. art that you're making and the, honestly the art that you're living yeah you know yeah and, and I think a key thing in that for me is that you know before I met Jesus I was a complete pelican. And in the process of knowing him and, and being loved by him and getting to love him, one of my requests of God was, you know, I want my innocence back. I want to be innocent in the way that I approach people. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, people in the world would use the word naive. Mm. But the original meaning of the word naive was pure and innocent. Mm not given to trickery. And then it's got, it's been negativized into, oh, you're a Burke, you're a complete idiot, you know, you just don't know which end is up kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know. You're insubstantial and all of that, but I think I want to be innocent because I have no plans to be angry. I'm, I'm angry about some issues. I don't like Im the whole immigration thing. I hate... Um, with a passion, um, sexual slavery, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, so there are causes that I fight for Yeah. Um, as my way of dealing with the anger I feel about that is to try and rescue as many people as possible. Mm. But honestly, I'm still saying to the Lord, don't forget, Lord, I, I want to be innocent, you know, and, and that to me means that it's a little like, it's a little Forrest Gumpy, 
mm. you know things yeah. go over your head yeah yeah you know and I want that I, yeah I want to be in a place where I don't notice yeah the Bible says that love doesn't recognize when others do it wrong <laughs> that's a goal in my life I don't mm-hmm. want to recognize it mm-hmm. I don't want to have the internal capacity to hear negativity even if it's not there yeah some people do that if you're not fulsome in your praise and you don't like it mm-hmm. i don't want to think like that yeah yeah you know i'd feel like for me as i don't want i want to be in a place where i don't recognize when someone's just dissed me <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. it goes straight over my head yeah, yeah. So that's a goal yeah there's a particular <laughs> childlikeness to what you're saying yeah, and a particular totally, playfulness you totally. know and and i just yeah. go back to those words when you know jesus talks about childlikeness right. and that's the way we enter the kingdom and right. i and even right. in talking about the creative process yeah. uh, childlikeness in play right is a hallmark of creativity and totally you know it's a valuable life trait yeah i think well it seems to me and even when i look at your life and your message and your books that you know God is a creator, right. and and when we get close to Him, it, right. we can't help but have that rub off, right. Right. <laughs> and you know, and so yeah. But Graham, I I really appreciate you, and I I thank you for taking thank the time you. to talk with us on Makers and Mystics. Yeah, no, it's cool. I lo- I love it. It's been a really <laughs> nice conversation. Awesome. And of course, I'm blaming God for all the good stuff. That's right. <laughs> Anything else, I'll take responsibility for. But that's good. That's good. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Music for this episode is provided by Aaron Strumpel. You can find links to Aaron's music as well as links to Graham Cook and to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective in the show notes of this episode. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like yourself. Please consider supporting these conversations by visiting us at makersandmystics.com. We'll see you next week with another Artist Profile episode.